Hello and welcome to the first ever kick-ass conversation with our inspirational individual and today I've got with me Glenn Mitchell from the Happy Mind Hypnotherapy and founder of the Happy Mind Revolution which is an amazing group on Facebook. I'm part of it myself and I would recommend that you become part of it too and I've been talking about this since the summer when we both had the idea that we wanted to interview each other. He did interview me and I am now interviewing him. So here we go. I'll pass you over to Glenn. And Glenn, would you like to let us know a little bit about what you're up to at the moment? With yes, certainly I'd love to. And thank you so much for having me on, Jess. Really excited to be here. Really excited to talk today. As you know, I love to talk. So what I'm up to. Um, so obviously I'm running my... Um, Happy Mind Hypnotherapy and Coaching, where I do hypnotherapy and coaching with people to help them, well, to help them many things. A lot of people come to me for things like anxiety and depression, but also a lot of people come to me when they're trying to sort of move their life forward, whatever that means. It could be they're trying to achieve something in their life, try to move on from something in the past. And so that's what I like to think is a large part of what I do. I help people move their lives forward in a way that works for them. And with the Happy Mind Revolution, the, um, the Facebook community, it's an interesting one because the Happy Mind Revolution was actually started with a completely rubbish name, which I'm not even going to recall here, to give me experience of running a Facebook group because I actually had a completely different idea for a group. And then what happened was the Happy Mind Revolution kind of took over and the other thing sort of fell by the wayside. So it's, it's very exciting. The purpose of the group is to help people find their self-initiated happiness. And what self-initiated happiness means is not looking for happiness outside, not looking for it in the outside circumstances of your life. I mean, for one thing, like we cannot guarantee anything when it comes to circumstances. We can set ourselves up for the best possible chances, but things can happen. And so life can sometimes have really good stuff, sometimes have really bad stuff. What I notice in people from working with them though, is that a lot of people suffer from the curse of when. I'll be happy when I have more money. I'll be happy when I'm in that relationship. I'll be happy when I've got that job. I'll be happy when I am president of the world. I'll be happy when. And so what I try and help people do is to find that happiness within now, to make a decision each day to be happy and to live from that position. Yes, every day is not going to be a great day for you. Every moment of every day is not going to be happy. And nobody should walk around with a smile plastered on their face 24-7. That will be terrifying. But if you decide to be happy and content as much as you can, if you decide that you want that to be your baseline, rather than allowing like complaining to be your baseline, unhappiness to be your baseline, grumpiness to be your baseline, if you actually decide that you want happy and content to be your baseline, then you've got so much more joy in any given day and also one of the huge things for me one of the really big things is the misconception that if you allow yourself to be happy then something bad happens you've got further to fall and it's actually untrue it's kind of the other way around if you allow yourself to be a happy person then bad stuff happens yeah you still have your dip in mood you still feel that and People should always honor their feelings. If you're upset, be upset. If you're sad, be sad. If you're angry, be angry, but don't let it take over and don't let that be what you dwell on. Dwell on positive feelings instead. 
And so people that allow themselves to be happy and dwell on the positive feelings rather than dwell on negative feelings, they become much more resilient, i.e. they have a depth, they have a knock, they come up much quicker because you always come back to your baseline. And so whatever your sort of baseline emotional place is, you always return to it regardless of what's happened. And another one with that is people think that even something quite big, like it seems like a big life event, will affect them forever, like right down to the footballer that misses a penalty in the World Cup. They think they'll be devastated for the rest of their lives, but in reality, in a month, they have to go back and play for their club and they will level out by then. People win the lottery and for three months, they're absolutely ecstatic. But then after that time has passed, they, they realise that they've still got to live life. They've now got the responsibility that being this person with much more money brings to it, even just down to figuring out the taxation that comes with that. So if you allow your happiness to be dictated from within, then it actually makes it easier to change the circumstances out with. And so people that let themselves be happy, create happiness for themselves, are much more likely to create success in other parts of their life than people that are miserable and gonna be happy when. Because when you're gonna be happy when, as soon as you get there, you'll have another when. You'll always have another, it will happen in the future, but tomorrow never comes, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I've experienced that before, definitely. And you explained that really well. Every question that I was about to ask, you answered it yourself. So you could tell that you're comfortable speaking. But I do just have one question for people who are out there, if they're listening and they're thinking, okay, I understand that, but how do I do it? I just can't do it. I And they're sort of fighting that voice inside their head, knowing that what you've just said, they're like, wow, that sounds incredible. I really want to do that. Do you have any piece, small pieces of advice of action that they can take to help bring that baseline up, to help start creating that self-initiated happiness? So th there's three things, like to bring it down to the, to the very basics, if you like. There's three areas where a person should focus should they decide that they, they want to do this. Number one is decision, definite decision. It has to be a case, can't be a case of, Maybe I'll give it a try, but I don't know if I want to, or I think that's rubbish, but I'll give it a go. If that's the case, you won't go anywhere with it. So decide, actually, I'm, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to aim for self-initiated happiness and then make that decision every single day. First thing when you wake up, think about when you get up and you stub your toe. You then stumble out of the bathroom. You like smash things in there. You got to clean that up. Before you know it, you're too late to grab your one slice of toast on the way out the door. You're now stuck in traffic. And the first thing you're thinking is, I can't wait to get to work to tell everybody what a rubbish morning I've had. And it just snowballs from there. It's the exact same when you do the opposite. So when you get out of bed and you decide, I'm having a good day today, that can start snowballing. Your brain will start to look for reasons to be positive, you decide I'm having a positive mindset. So people know, like most of the people I imagine that are listening to this are gonna know about things like gratitude and about putting positive intentions out there and stuff like that. However, you do this stuff first thing in the day. Like I say, it's the opposite of stubbing that toe in the morning. Set your brain up to look for positive things. So do think of some things to be grateful for. Say them out loud. Do think of a few things you're going to try and do today to make today a great day. And it could just be that you're going to put your slippers on and watch Netflix if that's what you want. But it's just about setting those things up. Because also, if you set a few things up early in the day, make sure they're easy as well. It doesn't have to be hard stuff. 
when you're setting up that this is what's going to help me have a good day make it stuff that you're pretty sure you can do pretty comfortable pretty easy because you get a little hit of dopamine when you actually like sort of tick them off in your mental list so you set your brain up that way each day and just keep doing it because like you might set yourself up like this and then the first thing that happens in your day is rubbish and then you do feel grumpy for the rest of the day but that's okay because come to tomorrow with the same attitude i'm gonna have happiness then we'll create happiness today keep doing it it becomes a habit when things become habitual they just they're so much easier at that point so at first you gotta make a bit of effort but after that once it becomes habitual then the efforts inside your your automatic brain if you like has taken that off of you because right now the way you think is a product of the way you've always thought and if you've never really thought about how you think and most people just don't think about how they think People think how, how we think is our personality. They think it's who we are. But in reality, how we think is created in layers through our life experiences, through the thoughts we've always had. Because thinking itself is rather habitual. And so when you start to change your thinking habits, you change your experience of life, but you don't change who you are. You're still you. But life becomes much more joyous and much more joyful. And so sticking with habits is, is part two. And that is micro habits and micro commitments. And so what I mean by that is pick a few things that you could do daily and make them tiny, make them absolutely tiny because they'll grow naturally. So a few things you can do to improve your day. Now, Jess, I know you've heard my story about how I started flossing my teeth because I tell it about every 17 minutes. But I'm going to tell it here because hopefully there'll be people listening that haven't heard this one. So go for it. Go for it. When it comes to micro habits and micro commitments, I actually discovered this almost by accident. And it was quite cool because about a week after I discovered it, actually, Jess, you recommended to me that I read the book Atomic Habits. And each chapter I read of that book, it was like I'd just done it the week before. It was absolutely bonkers, but I loved reading it because it confirmed that I was on the right path. And then there was points where the book kind of took over because, you know, I didn't just intuitively do everything in that book, but I was just because I started this little micro commitment. I had exactly the same experience when I read Atomic Habits and that's what I was going to add on before I disrupt your story. I was going to say about the gratitude practice, even if people are listening and thinking, yeah, I'm quite positive. I know that I'm grateful. I don't need to put a gratitude practice in place. I thought that at the beginning of last year, I thought, People told me, actually write down one gratitude, three gratitudes, whatever you are capable of, that micro habit. And I didn't bother doing it for months. And the people who I respected told me to do this and I still wasn't doing it. I don't know why, what part of me was resisting that. But when I habit stacked it onto something that I already did, like making a coffee, it became an automatic action. It got past to my subconscious mind. And before I knew it, I was putting the kettle on, going over, writing my gratitudes before I drink my coffee. No longer had to think about it. And it truly did transform my mindset. I didn't think there was anything that needed to change. I didn't feel depressed or anything, but it has made changes. So it is worth creating that habit if you're not already doing it. And now I'll let Glenn tell his story. So yeah, so my, uh, my experience with micro habits. One day I walked into my kitchen to do my cursory 12 second teeth cleaning because I had been convinced myself I didn't have the time to properly stop and clean my teeth and go through some sort of beauty routine. And so just about to do it, and I noticed a little thing of tooth floss. 
sat next to the toothbrush. It's been there for like for ages, actually, and just it, it just became background noise. But for some reason, I remember my dentist telling me I need to start flossing it. So I used to floss, and then my dentist told me my gum health isn't nearly as good since I haven't been flossing. And you can tell I haven't been flossing. So I thought, right then, I'm going to floss. And so I got a piece of floss and I did it. As I was flossing, I was thinking about all this little anecdotal stuff I've read about flossing before, i.e. people that floss are less likely to have heart disease. Now, as far as I know, and I'm not a medical researcher or anything, as far as I know, it's not conclusive as to why that is. There's various different things that I've read about it, but it doesn't matter. The, the correlation's still there. And I know correlation isn't always causation, but I just it made me think, what other positive habits could I build? So I floss my teeth. The next day I floss my teeth. The next day I floss my teeth and I realised my mouth feels much better when I floss my teeth. And so I thought, right, I'm doing this all the time. I went downstairs. I thought, what other little positive habits can I build? I walked into the kitchen and it looked like a bomb site because I'd left all the dishes from last night everywhere. I thought, oh, too tired, I'll do them in the morning. And then what would quite often happen was I'd still leave them there. I'd make the breakfast around them. And I would then get the kids to school and get back to the house and I would hurriedly tidy and clean that kitchen before my first client appointment of the day and I was always behind I'd be behind for my whole day I'd totally be behind for my whole day and I, everything just seemed to fall behind so I decided I walked out the kitchen I said right, right here now I'm tidying that up before I even make anybody's breakfast and that's exactly what I did and then making breakfast was actually much easier and then I made the kids lunches rather than waiting until five minutes before they go out the door and then I did, so that night came and I thought, right, well, this is obvious. I'm going to put everything in the dishwasher tonight. So I actually ran the dishwasher. Then I got up in the morning and emptied it and made the breakfast. And then the next day, I ran the dishwasher a little earlier and emptied it that night. Got up the next morning, just, oh, and I made the kids lunches that night. And then I just made breakfast. And so that was done in minutes. So by 20 past six, I'm sat, I've just eaten my breakfast. And I have got two hours and 20 minutes before I have to take my son to school. So I did a whole load of social media posts for that day, which I was going to do a little bit later. I had my morning one already scheduled, my first morning one, but I did a whole day's worth. And what I realised was I'm really creative at this time in the morning, much more so than I am at other times. So I just kept doing this. So now my, my next habit is getting all my social media sorted first thing in the morning. That then left me still loads of time because I found that, that if I do it in the evening, which is what I was normally doing, so and I was now scheduled tomorrow mornings as well after that. During the evening, it takes me about two hours to think of what to do because my brain's flitting in and flitting out. My brain just wants to watch some Cobra Kai. So what actually happened was my brain was just on and it was like 15 minutes. I got about five posts done. So I still got loads of time. So I did some admin. I didn't hate it. And then I still had loads of time. So I started being creative and I started thinking of new projects in these morning slots. This, this two-hour slot in the morning, it's just my creative energy is through the roof. Even so, I still couldn't fill my time. So what I actually started doing as well was actually spending some time interacting with my son rather than just letting him sit there watching his YouTube videos and occasionally saying, Daddy, will you play with me? Daddy's busy. And so instead, it was, Daddy, will you play with me? Yes, what would you like to play? Um, well, can we play on the Switch? I'd like to play Mario Kart with you. Oh, yes, I would love to. And then 
which sometimes we play in real life, sometimes we'll just play fight, other times he wants to play a Pokemon battle, which is us pretending we are Pokemon. But that interaction is just, it's wonderful, it's lovely. And I have no excuse for why I wasn't doing it in the first place. Other than I was in this place of repeatedly telling myself I had too much on, I was always behind, I was always chasing myself. And actually, just building these teensy habits snowballed into something massive for me. And it's been massively life-changing to the point where it's not only changed my work, changed the cleanliness of my home, it's changed my relationships with my family, which I already thought were really good. That's incredible. And that reminds me of, um, so Glenn's part of Fighting Fit Together and our monthly book, upon his recommendation actually, was The Power of Habit. And I've just begun reading it and they begin with a story about a lady who gives up smoking as the beginning of, I guess it's like a catalyst into all of these other health and well-being changes. So she was incapable of walking up the stairs without getting out of breath. She was overweight, she was smoking and she was just in a really bad way. And then that one habit kick-started everything else. And then a year later, she was running marathons. But had she not given up smoking, she wouldn't have achieved any of that. And anybody that achieves anything that I, the more people that I speak to, I'm not saying everybody, I haven't spoken to everybody, but the more I look into people who have achieved success, it will start with that one small habit. So Glenn's was flossing his teeth. Mine was doing press-ups before going to bed. That's how I became a champion. And I did pick up on Glenn mentioning Cobra Kai. So that ties in nicely uh, I've, I've finished Cobra Kai now and let's not and no spoilers for anybody depending on where you are but um Glenn kickboxes with me too and we ran a kickboxing and mindset program together a few months ago and that was wonderful so I know he has an interest in this so I'm delighted to ask him how he's finding his kickboxing at the moment because he's currently training and what his goals are and then also what his background in martial arts is. So when it comes to kickboxing at the moment, how am I finding it? I'm absolutely loving it at the moment, but I need to ramp up a bit now because um, I'm doing these sort of the sessions. And I, as you remember, when we did the kickboxing mindset program, I would be very, very tired and sweaty and all that by the time we finished the session. But that's not the case at the moment. I actually have quite a lot left in the tank. So it means two things. Number one, I need to increase my intensity when I'm actually doing them. I could probably throw some stuff out faster. I could do more of each move, more of each technique, more of each exercise during that Get time. some weights. Get some dumbbells and some ankle weights as well. That's what I do. So get some, I don't know, kilo, 500 grams, however much it is. And you can, so hand weights, or you can... Uh, strap them onto your wrists, strap them onto your ankles. And that really develops strength. I've got some really neat two kilo hand weights that would be perfect for this. They'll be perfect, yeah. I'll definitely use that. So what are my goals? This is interesting because I'm not certain I've defined them. Um, so You do have an amazing goal coming up though. Do you want to share with everyone what you're working towards? It doesn't have to be kickboxing related. But, I, abs I absolutely will in a moment, but I want to finish answering your question first. Okay. Because that is only fair since you asked it. So yeah, um, 
I'm not sure about yeah. checkbox and goals. You're going to have to come back to you on that one. Because you don't I need didn't... a goal, as long as you're enjoying it. That's what I always say to people. It doesn't have to be, I want to become a black belt. I want to become a champion. You can purely do it for enjoyment, for fitness, for fun, and to be part of the community. It's wonderful to have you there. So in that case, what did you do? Because I know you have a background in martial arts. So can you explain a bit of your brief history? So yeah, I've, I've been very stop starting on and off with martial arts pretty much my whole life. Started when I was seven years old, I did Shotokan Karate. And I was just, I was utterly in love with it. It was the first love of my life by far. And at the age of 11, when I was starting to train for the black belt, after going through all of the sort of, all of the grades, I developed a, um, like a, a lump on my knee, it's called an Osgood Schlatter's. And normally it would require surgical intervention to remove. It's from the, um, the joints rubbing together, basically. It's a it's cartilage swelling and forming out into a sort of bubble. But when you're a kid, they won't do surgery with it because if you stop doing whatever it was that caused it, you'll grow out of it by the time you're 18. So that's it. I couldn't do karate till I was 18. I have never cried so much in my entire life. I was devastated. So finally, at the age of 19, I took up Taekwondo at university. But unfortunately, in a non-Taekwondo and very much dance floor related dancing incident, I tore the ligaments. I, I don't know which ligament, they never ever did proper scans of me. The, uh, in fact, the A&E that I was in in Dundee was just, just angry that I was there with an injury. Like they were, they were just raging at me. They were so nasty, it was unreal. These, oh, these two doctors, um, I'm guessing they were just really busy. And I clearly, like it was the next morning, but I, you could smell the alcohol in my breath. They just thought, another drunk in here with an injury. So I, I understand why they hated me, that was fine. I also tore the cartilage at the time, which went undiagnosed, which gave me knee, gave me knee problems for years because the tear was also much worse than when we found it, much worse than what they thought it was. But anyway, so I didn't do anything for a few years. Then I started doing Kung Fu with the Wutan School of Kung Fu. Um, when I was 20, I think I was 24 at the time, at my uh, gym. So I did that for a couple of years, did a couple of gradings with that. It was, it was a lot of fun, but I knew it, like, it wasn't what I wanted anymore. Like I thought I wanted a traditional style martial arts. That's what I'd done before. I used to love doing the kata and stuff. But in reality, I only really loved the sparring. That's what everybody loves, right? You just, you love to get a bit physical. So, so I liked it, but I didn't love it. And so I kind of fell out of love with martial arts for a few years. But then I thought, I'll try again. So I took up Thai boxing and that I did fall in love with instantly. And yeah, I absolutely loved Thai boxing. I did that for about two and a half years. I got halfway through the syllabus and I moved areas. So I was living in Birmingham at the time. I moved out to Warwickshire and I just, I couldn't find a Thai boxing club. So again, I didn't train for a couple of years. And then I thought, right, I, I want to try mixed martial arts because I've never done any proper grappling training. I'd like to do that. So I joined uh, a mixed martial arts gym and I did that for, I think it was about three years I was doing that for. And that was a culmination. So the, the stand-up for that was Thai boxing, although it was a kind of hybrid. It was kind of somewhere between Thai boxing and K1 style that they were doing. So there was less of the clinch work and more of the sort of free fighting. And yeah, the grappling was based in both BJJ and combat submission wrestling. Now, I've never formally done BJJ, like no gi work or anything. It was all no gi, but 
I love that. I found that I'm, I'm pretty good at chokes. I'm rubbish. I'm awful at arm bars. I've never completed an arm bar in my life. I've managed a couple of calf crushers, a couple of knee bars, never completed an arm bar, not even once, not even slightly. I, I can get a choke from anywhere and I can get just about any choke. One of my favourites is the arm in guillotine because most people do it wrong. They've, they pull back on it because that's how you do it on a normal guillotine. But if you've got the arm in, you sit up on the guillotine to create the pressure and it works. I, I get arm and guillotines. People don't even try and defend them because they're like, well, this isn't going to work. I've had loads of arm and guillotines on me and then I get the tap pretty much straight away. So I loved chokes. But then finally my knee caught up with me and the um, I saw a consultant. He says, yeah, simple arthroscopy. I'll go in, I'll stitch it, I'll clean it up. You'll walk out of here. Then I woke up after and they came in and said, yeah, we're wrong with that. It's much worse than it looks on the scan. We've cut loads of your cartilage away. You're on crutches for six weeks. Sees you later. And then it was just a case of telling myself the story of, well, I've got hardly any cartilage in my knee now, so I'm, I'm not going to train anymore. And I didn't really train after that until I met you and started up with your kickboxing training. And so, yeah, I, I, in between as well, I, I've tried out different schools here and there of, Kung Fu, kickboxing and things like that. The proper kickboxing based ones have always been my favourite. Oh, and in between all of that though, in 2016, I did do, or was it 2015? I did a white collar boxing match, which I didn't get into particularly good shape for, which turned out to be a terrible idea because yeah. first round was relatively even. I thought he won the first round. My corner said they thought I won the first round. I came out for the second round and my hands came to about here and I thought I'm dead. Uh, I, I survived till the end actually. I, um, there was a point, it was quite funny in the third round too, he starts sort of working the, the body and I'm thinking this doesn't hurt, this isn't bothering me, I'm just gonna let this happen and get my breath back until I can hear from my corner, defend yourself and hell back, he's scoring points! Like, yeah that's not a good idea. <laughs> the dude was raging, so I was like, oh, I better do something then. So, yeah, made it to the final bell. Don't know how I was still standing because I was just so unbelievably tired. And then um, what was fun was when my opponent's hand was raised, I then grabbed his other hand and raised it and started screaming his name for the crowd. And the reason why it was quite amusing was because the referee was in stitches and he said to me afterwards, I've never seen that reaction before. Most people go in a mood when they lose. <laughs> No, it's all about respect. I really, I, I really don't agree with people who are angry about decisions. If you really do want to argue a decision, do it respectfully, do it discreetly. Because in my mind, it is about respect. And I think that's a wonderful reaction to have. And you just highlighted a very, very important how it all comes back to fitness with fighting. I, mean, I don't think a lot of fighters are going to listen to this, but if anybody's <laughs> done it... You, no matter how fit you think you are, no matter how much fitness you've done, when you get in that ring, you will be exhausted. But as I've experienced, it is about believing in your ability too. And that, because I'm really excited to ask Glenn this, because there isn't really anyone else that I can ask. I get asked a lot, how do you tie in kick, kickboxing and hypnotherapy? How are they similar? Because people just go, they're completely different. And mine is always, they both improve health and all aspects of health. But I'd like to hear what Glenn's take on this question is. Well, it's interesting, actually, because we didn't get to my third point earlier when I said there was three points to if people want to create self initiative happiness. 
So this this ties right into your question, by the way. So don't worry, I'm, okay. not, I'm not tangenting here. The third part then to create self-initiated happiness is the thoughts that we pay attention to in our minds and the movies we run in our minds. Now, neuroscience, obviously neuroscience is a wonderful field, ties in really well with psychology. And neuroscience tells us that the automatic mind, the subconscious mind, whatever you want to call it, the more they research it, the more they realize of us that that controls to the point where some people got worried about like, what if this means I have no control? They found one thing, one specific thing that you will always have control of your your automatic mind, your subconscious mind will never take control of it. And it's what you pay attention to. And so when thoughts come and go, your thoughts might be automatic, but you don't have to listen to every thought that comes into your brain. That thought is not you, it's just the product of the way you've thought before. It's kind of like if you were go, to go down to a road and watch the traffic from the roadside, you're just watching traffic move. Yet if you run into the middle of the road, starting out of fear with traffic, now traffic's flying towards you, that's pretty scary. It's the same with your thoughts. You can just observe them and decide which ones to, to listen to, to engage with, and decide which ones to let them just float on by like a cloud. I mean, that takes practice. But once you've developed that skill, it's wonderful. And things like mindfulness and meditation are great for this. And the same with the movies we're on our mind. You're either going to run negative movies, i.e. catastrophizing, i.e. wondering about negative stuff to the point where you might not even realise you're running those movies because they happen so automatically. Or you can take charge and run positive movies, visualising things, focusing on things. Focus. So it's all what you focus on. So how does this tie in with kickboxing? Kickboxing is one of the best ways to focus that there is. In fact, if you're working really hard to perfect technique, if you're working hard to keep your gas tank up with the moves that you're doing, you're probably in as mindful a state as you will ever get with anything else. There's a, um, a Shaolin monk who operates here in the UK, operates a few Shaolin schools of Kung Fu, named, um, oh, what's his name? His name is Shifu Yan Li. And when he was young, when he first went to the temple and he was training, he was trying to do everything that they told him, he got to about his teen years. And eventually he went to his master and he said, I just can't get on with the meditation. I've tried so hard. I get so antsy. I get so aggressive. It just really annoys me. And his master thought for a moment. He said, so what do you like doing? He said, I just like training. He said, fine, let training be your meditation. That's it for me right there. How does hypnotherapy tie in with kickboxing? They both create focus. And so that's the one thing we always have control on. What you focus on it's what you kind of create in this world. It's what you see in this world. And it's what you get in this world. Train your focus. And kickboxing is a great way to train your focus. Train your focus and you can be pretty much unstoppable. I like that answer. That's a good answer. And that that helps me with my own. When people, when we talk about meditation and how beneficial it is for health, and I have to say, I, I don't regularly meditate. I don't have a meditation practice. Perhaps it's a habit I should develop. But kickboxing works like that for me. 
same as coaching kickboxing because I can take myself into that focus into that moment and I'm not paying attention to anything else there's no other thoughts going through my mind it releases the stress so not only am I improving my physical health whilst I'm doing it by moving my body and all the benefits that that may have it does it really does switch the mind off and allow that focus so that was a wonderful answer and before we finish up, is there anything that you would like to share with anybody? Anything, any advice that you've got, like one final piece of this is what you should do today if you're going to take action on anything? Ooh, oh, I'm going to think about that whilst I'm talking for the next minute. So you asked me a moment ago as well, um, what am I doing at the moment? Is there anything that I'm focusing on that I want to talk about? So I, um, I was doing some meditating on Jan 1st this year. And I um, something just kind of popped into my head, just kind of out of nowhere. And it was about how much hypnotherapy has done for me. So I remember at some point last year, actually writing to my old hypnotherapy school and saying, thank you so much for everything hypnotherapy has given to me, for everything that I've learned from working with you. It's not just made me a hypnotherapist, which I absolutely love. Uh, it has altered my life massively because it's changed how I look at things, it's changed how I think about things. And I thought to myself as well, like hypnotherapy is still seen as kind of like the weird one. It's the, it's the out there therapy that people go to as a last resort. And I know there's a lot of great hypnotherapists out there that are working to change that, to change its image, to make it more widespread, more accepted. But I still feel in the general mainstream, it's still seen as a bit kooky, a bit weird, a bit out there and a bit of a last resort. So the mission that I woke up with in this year is I, I want to do something about that. I want to help hypnotherapy be more mainstream accepted, to help it to be more recognizable as actually this can help me with the issues that I'm facing because it can be so wonderful and so powerful for so many issues. And of course, each therapist's got their different areas that they're really, really good at. And each person has got different modes of therapy that work better for them. So no single mode of therapy is perfect for every person or every issue. But hypnotherapy crosses so many borders with that. And in the hands of a skilled hypnotherapist, a person really can make massive changes, like things like trauma, things like lifelong anxiety, things, simple things like, well, say simple things, they're never simple things, things like phobias, things like changing your mindset, even sport and performance, like it can transcends so many different things in the hands of skilled therapists. So I want to, to be out there more. So that's one of my big missions. So this year, I'm going to be focusing on somehow creating some more attention on hypnotherapy, whilst also trying to sort of, I don't know how yet at all, but trying to talk to, I don't know, medical practitioners and things and increase their understanding of this sort of thing. One of the interesting things actually is, I've, I've worked with a couple of GPs, like they've come to me for hypnotherapy, for issues, and they've told me the same thing as I know nothing about hypnosis or hypnotherapy. It scares me a little. And so I've had to sort of explain to them that, that there's nothing scary about it. Nobody's taking control of them, all of that stuff. And so I can see that certainly at the GP level, there's pretty much zero understanding there. And I also, I know a couple of GPs just like, through friendship groups and stuff. And they're the same, they, they openly say they know zero about hypnosis. So I, I don't know if a GP in the world, that's a really small sample, but I suspect that that filters across wider. 
Yet on, on the other side of things, I've had a few people work with me that were under psychiatrists. And so before working with them, I've always said to them, make sure you've got permission from your psychiatrist, make sure they're happy for you to engage in this. And actually they've all said the same thing, that the psychiatrists are totally happy. They're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Hypnotherapy could probably really help you, obviously dependent on the issue. So I guess among some circles there, there's a level of understanding, but you put it out to the general public and they think hypnosis stage shows, or they think whatever strange stuff they've seen in a movie. I had someone message me once and ask them if I'd seen the movie Get Out, which I haven't, um, but apparently they, they use hypnosis in that to terrorise a person and stuff. And yeah, that's all, that's Hollywood, that's false, that's fake, that's not real. And hypnotherapy is a beautiful modality to help people. So a couple of the ways that I want to do that is number one, I, um, I've put together a training package for hypnotherapists that are either starting out or struggling with clients or having difficulty now because of all the lockdown stuff and things. And so this is to help people basically get themselves out there, get a load of clients, be really busy and work with loads of people because that, that's what I want to see. I want to see busy, thriving hypnotherapists. I've got some other stuff that I'm doing down the line as well, but that's where it starts for now. And like I said, I'm, I'm looking for how I'm going to get a platform to talk to thousands or maybe even millions of people somewhere throughout this year to really extol the virtues of hypnotherapy to the general public. So watch this space. It's going to be exciting, good fun, and I can't wait. Keep taking every step in the right direction. That's exactly, that's my asking for what your one piece of advice is. I'll throw mine in there because I'm going to throw it in wherever I can. That dream big, potentially beyond your imagination, but take a small step each day and celebrate each small win daily. And that's how you'll get there. The more people like speaking out positively, if, I don't know, five people hear this, more than five people will hear this. But even if five people hear it, they might have five conversations. So that and that reaction will continue. Absolutely true. It's absolutely right. And so that's quite similar. It's like it ties in with the, the piece of advice that I got in my head for this. And that is just simply... Sometimes the path in front of us looks really like dark. It's got no illumination, we can't see. But we can actually see our next steps. So we have no idea how we're going to get there, but we can see our next step. And so that's it. Take the next step. Have a goal in mind. Have your end goal in mind. But you don't have to know every step to get there. Just take the next one. Because once you've taken the next one, the one after that will always appear. That small illumination in front of you will always be there. Just take that next step, take that next step, whatever it is. You're creating happiness. You don't know how to do it yet. Take the first step of waking up and deciding to be happy. Then take the next step of deciding, I'm going to do something now for my happiness. Each day, just keep taking the next step. If you've got a new project on the go, but you have no idea like what you're going to do with it, you don't know how to write a business plan or whatever, that's fine. Write a paragraph down about what your idea is. Get it out of your head. Tony Robbins always says, if you stay in your head, you're dead. And I always thought that sounded a wee bit aggressive, but actually I love it now because what it actually means is you could have everything in here. You could have a million great ideas. I spent 10 years having great ideas on weekends and then getting back to work during the week. And like my ideas would die uh, as that week went on. 
get it down somewhere, write it down, talk to somebody about it, record yourself talking about it. Get this stuff down, start doing something about it. Because if it does stay in your head, eventually that's, your dreams die in here if you don't do something about them out here. So that's it. Perfect. That tied in really nicely. So it's almost like we have a similar approach to how we coach, I guess. But um, no, a wonderful piece of advice. And like you said, it is very similar, but it is so important because I think people do get overwhelmed by that success, happiness, confidence. What are these words that these people have that I don't have? It's like they are what you make them. And if you believe that you are capable, if you believe that you have them, they're an abstract thing, really. It's created in your mind. So you are capable of taking those steps each day. You won't just wake up tomorrow, look in the mirror and go, I am happy while you're smiling. But you can take that action, that whatever it may be to you. I think that's the perfect way to finish our first episode. So I'd like to say thank you very much to Glenn for being on here. And with regards to contacting you, I'm assuming the Happy Mind Revolution on Facebook is the best way to get involved with everything that you're doing. It absolutely is, yeah. If you just search the Happy Mind Revolution, it will be the first hit. Perfect. So thank you and thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. I'll speak to you again next week.